Welcome to Prose Tinted Glasses. Today we have a lot to talk to you about. Um, It's probably going to be a little all over the place, but I think it's going to be ultimately interesting. I promise it all connects uh, at the end, somehow, probably. We'll let you know when we've reached our own conclusion. (laughs) Uh, It also connects a little bit to, I mean, not a little bit, it connects a lot of it to what we were talking about last week, which is fan fiction and sort of the the natural evolution of fan fiction yes so this week we're going to talk about retellings of stories we already know and love starting with the obvious classic fairy tale retellings we'll talk about some mythology and also some classics retellings also other media retellings i think a little bit Mm -hmm. just kind of tying it all in together I wanted to start with um, some of the stories that raised us, but I have since learned that they have not raised Bailey quite as much as they raised me. And I am, of course, talking about some of the most classic Cinderella retellings, starting with El Enchanted. I have not read that book, but that movie is a classic. Ever After, starring Drew Barrymore, which is... Also a classic. I actually watched that like two weeks ago when I was house-sitting for my brother. It's on Disney Plus, Bailey, so you really don't have an excuse. You need to watch it. I have homework. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, the classic Hilary Duff, Chad Michael Murray movie, A Cinderella Story. I want to give myself the barest bit of credit here. I have, of course, seen A Cinderella Story. Who could forget the iconic Hilary Duff outfits and Chad Michael Murray? Just being Chad Michael Murray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you saw my tweet from a couple weeks ago. I think I was thinking about a Cinderella story, but I tweeted something like, do the youths today even know who Chad Michael Murray is? Because I feel like they don't, and that horrifies me. And I stand by that. It's it's very disturbing to think that kids these days don't know how hot we all found Chad Michael Murray. There's a lot of things I think that the youths don't know, particularly about, like, then we found attractive in the mid 2000s. Yeah, and um some of them are questionable, but I I'm, I'm going to stick by Chad Michael Murray. Oh, I'm sticking by Chad Michael Murray for sure. There are absolutely questionable things. And if you want to talk about it, our DMs are open. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Cinderella retellings. Yeah, so these are all like some of the most formative movies of my childhood particularly ever after and i feel like the cinderella movie industry was like sort of just its own thing there for a while it was like the fairy tale we most often saw remade or retold and it was in a bunch of different mediums there was you know books like the book version of el enchanted there were original movies like ever after a cinderella story is clearly just like an update to modern times. So there were all sorts of different versions of this retelling to the point where, uh, I don't know if you know this fact, Bailey, but there's an actress named Lucy Punch and she's played 
an evil stepsister in like four different versions of Cinderella movies. No, but the, I believe yeah. it because also it wasn't just remakes or retelling. Sorry, it wasn't just retellings of Cinderella during this time. It was also just remakes of Cinderella, like the iconic Cinderella with Brandy. Oh my god, how did I forget to put that one? I don't know. Now I have to watch that one again. Uh, that was such a good one. Wow, I, do- I just misspelled Cinderella trying to put it into our notes. It's better now. I have misspelled Cinderella <laughs> at least three times today. For some reason, I want there to be a lot of A's, and there are not a lot of A's in Cinderella. Just just the one, in fact. <laughs> I'm blaming it on a four-day weekend. Um, <laughs> That's fair. So it wasn't just these new versions of Cinderella. It was remakes of Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And this era was before even like Disney got back into their like live-action retelling, um, or their live-action remakes of their classic animated. Like This is before the the what's her name cinderella what's her name lily james this was before the lily james cinderella oh okay good because i was i just kept thinking of emma watson and i was like no that's beauty and the beast no that's beauty and the beast and you just kept (laughs) saying what's her name i was like i don't know (laughs) sorry wrong princess (laughs) anyway yeah it feels like cinderella was everywhere during our childhood and i can't think of any other like retold specifically fairy tale or really any retold um, piece of media that was as constantly present in various forms of TV shows and movies and books. Right. I don't think I can think of anything as pervasive during my lifetime as Cinderella was during that time. Yeah, late 90s to early 2000s. Right. Which it was kind of between the the big era of Disney with The Lion King and Toy Story and all of that and um, sort of the big Pixar age of the later 2000s. Mm-hmm. So apparently that was the Cinderella era. <laughs> and then after that, I feel like we moved into this era that was dominated by Once Upon a Time, the TV show with that took all of the fairy tales and like stuck them all in one place and then modernized it. Um, And then I watched it week to week for many years. It ran far longer than I thought it did because I believe I gave up on once upon, well, I'm not even sure I started watching it in 2011, but once I caught up to wherever we were, I gave up on it shortly after because There were so many storylines, so many combined retellings that I just got a little lost. Yeah, it could be. It was a little overwhelming at times. And I definitely did not watch the final like season or two whenever they they like at some point aged up Henry and then he was an adult and like they rebooted some of the fairy tales. I'm not really sure what happened um, because I didn't watch that part, but I definitely watched the first four or five seasons of Once Upon a Time. And I also watched Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, which ran for, I think, just a season or maybe two. Um, But Bailey, you didn't even see that one, right? I didn't really recall that it existed until you brought it up in the notes. (laughs) So, but it was huge in popular culture while it was on. Everyone watched Once Upon a Time. And by everyone, I mean the adults that I knew. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone on Tumblr certainly watched 
Once Upon a Time. If you were not a Once Upon a Time fan, you may at least have been either a uh, Swan Queen shipper or a Captain Swan shipper. I was, as they say now, I was not on that side of that website. I was not on Once (laughs) Tumblr, I guess, because that is surprisingly one ship I did not have, despite not being a member of the actual (laughs) fandom. Yeah, that is actually, that's pretty surprising to me. I, like, I wasn't on a huge Once Upon a Time side of Tumblr, but there were lots and there was lots of Swan Queen versus Captain Swan discourse. And if you're not familiar with the show, uh, the main character's name is Emma Swan, and she's like Rumpelstiltskin's, no, no, no. Her son is Rumpelstiltskin's grandson. Spoilers, I, I guess. I mean, it's been off the air for three years. It's kind of on you at this point. Oh, I know. I'm just. I don't know. I don't know that Emma Swan had any direct fairy tale li- lineage. Hang on. I now think I have to remember. I wasn't on this part of Tumblr because I was very much on hockey Tumblr probably when this was like super big. <laughs> probably. And that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother story. Okay, I actually think that Emma Swan was the child of Prince Charming and not Cinderella, though. It was like Snow White, I think. She's the child of Snow White and a Prince Charming, but not Cinderella's Prince Charming. Okay. I was going to say, I opened up the, the fandom wiki, so we're about to go down a rabbit hole if I continue here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, but she was like, orphaned and raised in like real life New York and then gets like sucked back into this world but then she is frenemies with Regina the evil queen and people shipped them pretty hard and then she also has a romantic attachment to Captain Hook who was just played by such an attractive man okay I do remember Regina and Emma being shipped vaguely but it wasn't something that i paid a lot of attention to or saw a lot of i just know that that was that existed and i do remember captain hook um because as katie said very attractive Mm -hmm. yeah for emma and regina it was one of those things where like the actors had like such great chemistry and then the showrunners were like basically too cowardly to ever let them go anywhere Wow, that's familiar. <laughs> Where have we seen this before, other than everywhere? Well, may never know. Um, speaking of stories in which a character is raised in the quote-unquote real world, but gets taken into uh, the fantasy world, I guess, that is what happens in A Curse So Dark and Lonely, which is a Beauty and the Beast retelling, which we'll get to. But that just mm-hmm. reminded yeah, me Yeah, I haven't that. read that one more. I haven't read that one yet. The main character is raised in Washington, D.C., and the the curse is obviously that um, he has to find someone who loves him. And so every year, his companion goes into Washington, D.C. and gets a human girl to try and break the curse. Blah, blah, blah. I don't want to spoil too much. I enjoyed the retellings, so mm-hmm. it just reminded me of... I'll definitely check it out. The one character is raised in the quote-unquote real world and gets brought into this um fantasy world which is a fair amount of 
fantasy in general that happens in, but this is very specifically a Beauty and the Beast retelling. And mm-hmm. Once was very specifically a um, unspecific fairy tale. Yeah, I think that a lot of retellings tend to focus on one of the main fairy tales whether it's like the disney version of the fairy tale that we were all kind of raised on or sometimes more of the like historically accurate Grimm's or hans christian anderson whatever fairy tales but once upon a time really just ratcheted that up to 11 and took things from everywhere um they were primarily based in disney i think because it was an abc show and abc is a disney company and like to the point where in later seasons, like, they have the Frozen characters in the show. Like, Elsa and Anna and um, Kristoff all make appearances. I do remember that. But they definitely take liberties. I was gonna say, I, f- I feel like from what I remember, they definitely pulled in some of the darker tones from the original fairy tales, like the Brothers Grimm. Um, mm-hmm. And they also, they go to great lengths to connect the entire world to the point where like Rumpelstiltskin is also the crocodile from Peter Pan. I didn't I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. That's a for real thing. I kinda wanna be a crocodile. <laughs> um I can't quite remember how that worked, but I, I know that it worked. <laughs> okay. Fair. Right. I do feel like uh once upon a time was very it was telling the stories for adults, and I guess that's what I mean when I say like it brought in the darker tones a little bit more mm-hmm. than Disney necessarily does. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's fair. And I think, um, I don't know if this necessarily started the trend. Um, so Once Upon a Time started in 2011, and this is when the Lunar Chronicles were published uh, by Marissa Meyer. They started coming out in 2012. So... Those overlap in a way that I don't think that they're necessarily related. And the Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer are a series of like four and a half books. Um, The first one being Cinder. And as you may have guessed, it's another Cinderella retelling. But she is... Who knew? She's like a cyborg. She has like robot parts. And so it's honestly quite an interesting take on the Cinderella mythos. But it's also part of this larger, like, kind of like just a regular YA dystopia. I haven't been able to read the rest of the books in the series yet because they were taking forever to uh, become available at the library. But I really enjoyed Cinder. And those, again, started coming out in, like, 2012. Came out probably one a year-ish. And then Marissa Meyer also released Heartless in 2016, which is like a retelling of the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland. Right. I feel like because they came out in 2012, we just miss reading them as a YA novel because we were in college. And if they'd come out Mm -hmm. three years earlier, we probably would have been all over them. But because Mm -hmm. when they came out, we just missed it. Uh, But it does seem like those were more focused on the retellings for the YA set. Mm-hmm. versus once was for adults and then the way you said that it's sort of the retelling coupled with the dystopia dystopian mm-hmm. setting reminds me of Cinderella is dead which is an even farther 
evolution of the retelling in a dystopian society, I feel like, a little bit. Because yeah. it in Cinderella is Dead, it it's not strictly a retelling because the setting is that Cinderella is, is like, venerated and all the girls are looking to take her place at this big ball in a very dystopian way that the whole society has become revolves around trying to become Cinderella. Yeah, I loved Cinderella is Dead as like an evolution of this retelling or like an expansion on this trope where it's, as Bailey said, it's not a strict retelling anymore, but it's still set in that world and it's kind of melding like what if Cinderella had been real and you grew up hearing the story and then like what would your life be like today if also you lived in a terrible patriarchy um fuck the patriarchy word (laughs) but it was a very it was a very fun and interesting way to incorporate that original fairy tale yes uh i really liked it as well when we first i know it went it made uh fast tracks through our book group chat once nicole had read it (laughs) and was like you guys have to read it the rest of us were like oh yes perfect uh will do for sure but i also think in line with the evolution of retellings is some of what we're seeing right now with like disney's hopping on the retelling the live action and the the expansion of backstories to attempt to make sympathetic villains. Yeah, so I think that Disney's greed and their their uh, desire for us to spend money on their products is causing them to crank out a lot of these adaptations, a lot of like the live action adaptations of the animated films, a lot of which are like pretty much nothing has been added to them other than now it looks like a real person or an unsettlingly realistic lion doing the singing instead of a cartoon. Yeah. But then they've really kind of let their creativities, they've kind of let their creativity flow a little bit more with these like villain origin stories. Uh, I know Maleficent was pretty successful. Bailey, you said that you watched those recently, right? Yes, I finally watched them because they were both available on Disney Plus, and I think it worked. I felt it definitely expanded on just this woman that showed up and, you know, set this evil curse. And also, I do feel like from a cinematic standpoint, that movie was one of the better live action movies that I remember from Disney in terms of their, like, in their classic realm, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, as you said, Katie, these these newer live-action remakes aren't... They're, they're just the same story. Mm-hmm. There's not as much added. Whereas I feel like, because Maleficent was adding to the story, it came across as so much more watchable. Mm-hmm. I think it's also interesting that they basically took, like, the Wicked formula, where they took this, like, quote-unquote evil character and gave her an interesting and sympathetic backstory. And I think it's it's also interesting that they have continued to try and do that with characters such as Cruella, who is most known for murdering puppies. I have not seen Cruella yet. I have actually heard 
actually some pretty good things about it. I think people like it a lot more than I was expecting. So I'm sure I, I will give it a try once it's not $30 on Disney Plus anymore. I do I do find it very difficult right, to get over. Um, spoiler alert for like the beginning of Cruella. I find it very difficult to get over the fact that they literally had Dalmatians kill Cruella's mom. And like, that's her villain origin story. Yeah, that has certainly kept me from watching it, honestly. Like, I was more excited about it until I learned that and then I, it kind of turned me off from watching it and now I'm just like well I don't care if I ever see it um, but I probably will eventually watch it once it's included in you know the streaming I already pay for but I think that it's interesting because we're seeing that not only in Disney media but also you know as we mentioned Marissa Meyer and Heartless and I think there have been a few others a few other books that have taken on like the villain point of view Right. And I mean, obviously, as you said, Wicked is sort of the original mm-hmm. villain background story, um, which it's now a Broadway musical, and that's what most people know it by. But it is a book from 1995 that gives more background to the conflict between the so-called Wicked Witch of the West and the the good witch, Glinda. That's kind of one of those things we were putting together this episode and talking about retellings and it wasn't until today that I thought of Wicked which as I said was one of the original major retellings not of a fairy tale per se but of a classic The Wizard of Oz. Yeah I think we've gone through a lot of phases where this episode started conceptually as just being about fairy tale retellings and then there was a moment where like oh my god all of these mythology retellings that are popular right now also count as retellings and there are retellings of Shakespeare and retelling of classic books and we're going to get into those a lot more um in a little bit but I think it was it kind of just opened up this whole new world every time we realized that like oh yeah like no stories are new and we're just um you know not to call back too much to the previous episode but like everything is fan fiction. Everything is a retelling. And I think it's really interesting to see how that is evolving right now. Right. And I didn't even include Legendborn on this list, which is Arthurian legend, because I feel like we really nailed that home in the, the Legendborn episode from a few weeks ago. But again, it it's like we were talking with this fanfic. It's It all comes down to this is a new... It's not a new thing to retell all these stories. Um, But we felt like recently it's become less of a thing that you notice occasionally, i.e. like Wicked and Cinder, Melissa Meyer's book sort of stood alone, I feel like, in the 2012 time as a retelling. And now it seems everywhere we turn, the current trend is retellings. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, there's a lot of fairy tale ones. Peter Pan seems to be very big now with Aiden Thomas's Lost in the Neverwoods. Um, which was very good. It's basically about a traumatized Wendy who has returned from Neverland. And then there are plenty of other ones, like um, there's one called Wendy Darling. There's Is that the one where... There's one where um, Peter or Wendy are, is trans that I just recently downloaded. It's that one. Yeah, to be fair, recognizing Peter Pan retellings is apparently not my forte. <laughs> so I did read Lost in the Neverwoods. I enjoyed it. I 
didn't realize it was a Peter Pan retelling until embarrassingly far in, considering the main character is introduced (laughs) as Wendy Darling on, like, page five. (laughs) Honestly. It wasn't until Peter made his appearance that I was like, oh, shit. It could happen to anyone. (laughs) I have this habit of purchasing or placing holds on books um reading the synopsis then and then whenever they arrive in the mail from a pre-order or finally arrive from on hold i don't reread the synopsis in any way i just dive right into the book and i'm always surprised by what happens in them whereas if i would just take 30 seconds and read like two sentences i would have known this was a retelling i would have Realized maybe sooner that these violent delights was a Romeo and Juliet retelling. That one I'm less inclined to cut or slack on because the like the main characters are named Roma and Juliet, and Roma's last name is Montagov. I'm 100% sure that something that I read described them as star-crossed lovers, and it still did not click until I was pretty far in the book, and I was like, oh, dang, this is Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? <laughs> Uh yeah, we'll we'll circle back to those, but more the Peter Pan telling retelling I was looking for where Peter is trans is called Peter Darling, and then there's also there've been a lot of like Red Riding Hood retellings coming out recently, I think. Like um What Big Teeth is one, right? Or did I just totally read into the title of that? Um I believe it is. Um no, I think that I just read too much into the title of that one. Maybe not. Maybe maybe it's, like, inspired by or, like, tangential to, but anyway. Or we just have been seeing retellings everywhere we look, so now we see them where they're not. That's true. I, like, I can't tell how many of these, like, came out recently versus a while ago and how many of them are popular right now. I've looked at so many shelves that say, that are called fairy tale retellings in the past few days. I looked up some of them but mostly for the the classical the fairy tale retellings seems to be they exist they've always existed but recently it seems to be a much higher mm-hmm. resurgence with things like lost in the neverwood cinderella is dead a curse so dark and lonely is not that old 2019 just a couple years yeah i think that's well within 2020 didn't exist so yeah there's also uh to my great horror i did learn recently that Akatar started as a Beauty and the Beast retelling. To farther muddy the waters, I learned that Throne of Glass was originally inspired by the Cinderella story, <laughs> and my brain did a little, like, spinning circle blue screen for a second. I know what you meant when you said the Cinderella story, but my brain is so attuned to, like, hearing it in that order for the Chad Michael Murray movie that I briefly thought you meant that Sarah J. Moss was inspired by the Hilary Duff Chad Michael Murray a Cinderella story, and that's what Throne of Glass was based on, and I would love to read that. <laughs> yes, Sam is actually secretly an assassin, the greatest assassin in the kingdom, and um, then, you know what, no, today is not the time and place for my Avatar <laughs> and Throne of Glass opinions. We will settle with, uh, loosely inspired by, is the best way to say that those are, I'm not, I definitely don't think Throne of Glass classifies as a retelling, and I think the beginning half of A Court of Thorn and Roses could be called a retelling, but it quickly mm-hmm. becomes its own story. Definitely. So it, it's just interesting. I wonder if this trend, I originally posited that this became a trend in the vacuum that was left by Once Upon a Time. Bailey, you, you didn't agree because basically you thought that 
the audience for Once Upon a Time was more adults and like the audience for all of these retellings that are coming out now are more YA. And so did you have additional thoughts? Yes. I think it's just that I don't see a lot of crossover between, I mean, obviously there's people like us. So I guess the crossover does exist. Adults who watched Once Upon a Time, but who also Mm -hmm. still read a lot of YA. Typically, I don't think that's what when people are in marketing, they're not like, oh, yes, let's go for this very niche group <laughs> of adults that still consume things that we're marketing for younger audiences. And to be clear, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with reading YA as an adult. If you like to read it, read it great. Enjoy what you enjoy. But I'm saying that the marketing people don't necessarily go for that uh, train of thought for that market share when they're doing something like this. So I think that a lot of the retellings that we're currently seeing are tending more towards YA. More towards the set that the movies mm. you grew up on, Katie, were selling the retellings of. I think that's a really fair point. I think that I initially didn't really understand where you're coming from because, like you said, I am the crossover audience and I am selfish. And I think that everyone markets everything to me as, I mean, as they should, at least. Uh, but I think... <laughs> you're right. And you should say it. <laughs> but I think you made a really good point about, you know, we've grown up and I think fairy tales especially are oftentimes inherently YA because the characters in fairy tales are typically children or teens. So that makes sense. I think the original tellings of most fairy tales tend to have a very coming of age feel to them. And so that tends to stick them into the maybe coming of age isn't the best way to say it because there's a, there's a lesson learned. Mm for a lot of the fairy tales. Um, and that tends to be more of a trope within YA than mm-hmm. within adult media that you have to learn this this lesson or this moral teaching because a lot of passed down stories were used in part to communicate things like moral teachings and life lessons in the form of a story. I mean, that's getting very deep into like mm-hmm. storytelling culture. <laughs> And I don't think I did my research fully for this episode to have gone that direction. But I think because of those factors, it it does make those fairy tales a little more inherently YA, as you were saying. The We've never called it YA until modern times, but the audience for the stories was always younger people versus adults. Do adults still enjoy them? I mean, obviously, who do we think Disney is <laughs> making some of this stuff for? For sure. But it's the original audience remains... The younger set. And I think that's why it's so big in YA right now as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Pivoting to the original fairy tales. No, that's a terrible segue. Um, Please forgive me. Anyway, we're going to talk about mythology now. Oh, we're keeping it because of that. Yep. That's fine. I- There's no going back. You could come up with a great transition in like an hour and I'm keeping that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I was trying a little bit too hard there. But mythology, specifically most of the time in the ones that we're seeing currently are Greek and to a lesser extent Roman. Mythology is always one of those things that's going to have retellings because as we've said before and we will say again like no story is truly original Mm -hmm. but it does seem that currently especially with the book talk community and so then by extension other online book spaces there's a huge consumption of mythology retellings right now with things like Song of Achilles, uh, Madeline Miller's Circe as well, Ariadne. But those retellings are 
very strict retellings. I feel like maybe not strict in the sense that they're like retelling the exact story from canon material because it's hard to say what's canon material from mythology in some cases, but they are simply telling the story of those characters in those times. Like Song of Achilles didn't modernize the setting at all. It was told in the original setting. Yeah, I think it basically just took the um, Achilles and Patroclus story from original mythology and just sort of made it more palatable to modern audiences. So you're not having to like read through like the translated the Iliad the Iliad retells the story of Achilles. Cool. So it's not like you're reading a translated version of the Iliad. You're just reading like the essence of the story, like distilled down and modernized in that it's told in a more modern way, not in that the setting or the characters have been modernized. Right. And it's told in a... I don't want to say that the original Iliad isn't romantic because I (laughs) um, haven't read the original Iliad in its intended consumption form, meaning like if I ever read it, it's going to be a translated version and that's going to change some things from the original author's intent of, of what they're trying to say. God, Bailey, you didn't even you didn't even hand translate the Iliad. What kind of reader are you? <laughs> you didn't learn ancient Greek. I've been really busy lately. Okay, <laughs> first I'd have to learn a new language, then I'd have to translate it, and then I'd have to do years of study to figure out the intent behind the translation. Because true translation is correctly translating all of that. We digress. <laughs> uh, Song of Achilles is told in a wait. Actually. Can we digress a little bit further? Because this is something that I've been loving on TikTok recently. You know, from In the Heights, the part where they're like fighting after the blackout. It's a big trend on TikTok right now where it's like, Uznavi all night, you barely even danced with me. Don't make me laugh, I've been trying. Anyway, I'm not going to do the whole thing. Anyway, uh, I think that's good enough to get the point across. But anyway, people are like doing that trend where they're like playing both parts or whatever. And it's really cute. But yes, there is a TikToker and now I'm going to have to track her down. But she is trying to translate that into Yiddish. Just I don't know, to have fun with it. I did see that. But she's like, she's like, clearly like shaking your ass is not like a, a like you can't directly translate that into Yiddish. So she like contacted scholars and is like trying to find like a a comparable idiom to like get the point across without it being like a, a direct translation which is the kind of translation work you would need to do to accurately translate the iliad that's what i'm saying i've been too busy to do that <laughs> i think that that seems fair so um i settled for reading song of achilles and then there's a different kind of mythology retelling that I feel like we're also seeing a bit. Well, I, this isn't actually a trend. This is just something that two two grown-ups have seen between um, the same genre, but experienced at different times. And by that, I mean Percy Jackson and the Olympians and stories like This Poison Heart, uh, which just came out, same author as uh, Cinderella is Dead. Kaylin Bay Braun, I think. I was typing her name earlier, and I accidentally combined her first name and her last name into one one name. I portmanteaued her name, so I was afraid that I would do that again if I wasn't careful. <laughs> it became Kaylin Ron, like or something. Absolutely, it was absolutely not her name, <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, "Oh no!" So, anyways, this poison heart and 
Percy Jackson um, have the mythology in the story, mm-hmm. but it is not a retelling of the original myth, per se. It's modern characters who are seeing the the myth in real life. Um, I will try mm-hmm. to protect spoilers from this Poison Heart because it just came out on June 29th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. And I'm currently I've been rereading Percy Jackson. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times in the podcast. I'm on um, the first book of like the second series um, of Percy Jackson. Bruce, you got to stop, buddy. Have, can I have that? Can I show it to Bailey, please? I, I sent a picture in the group chat, but he has um, massacred this. Uh, this month's but. This month's bark box was uh, Space Jam themed, and he got a very cute toy of Bugs Bunny holding a big basketball, and like the basketball had a squeaky toy in it. Um, and he has ripped off Bugs Bunny's arms. Um. <laughs> Katie sent a message to the group chat of just the basketball and the amputated arms, and now I am seeing Bugs, whose head is hanging on by literal threads. Yeah, legitimately, like a few threads. So Bruce has destroyed the toys. Uh, but yes, so Percy Jackson and this Poison Heart are modern characters who are whose lives are intertwined with the myths and who are seeing the myths in the modern age versus things like uh, Ariadne was simply a retelling of the myth, but from a modern voice. Mm hmm. Yeah, in Percy Jackson especially, like, all of the mythology, like, was real and really happened in some version or another, and then he's encountering these figures again, and then to a certain extent some of the myths are repeating themselves, like, he runs into Medusa and she tries to turn him to stone and then they have to defeat her and things like that. So it's sort of this, like, middle ground between retelling the myths and updating it because kind of both happen. Um, and I, I haven't read this Poison Heart yet, so you'll have to comment on that one, Bailey. It is it is similar in that the miss happened, but the takeaway that I got from it is a little bit more that we don't always know. The myth isn't telling the whole mm-hmm. story and that the villain is in the eye of the teller. A little bit more than um, maybe in, in Percy Jackson. There's not a lot of yeah. commentary on the myth necessarily in the same way. But again, I don't want to. Is it a spoiler? Is it a spoiler to bring up Medea? Because I would like to tell my amusing anecdote from high school. I don't think so. But again, I wasn't familiar with the story of Medea at all, basically. So I didn't catch a lot of what looking back are clear indicators that that's how the story is going to play out a little bit more. I think <laughs> if you were as familiar with Medea as Katie is from high school, you might you might know it, but again, I it wasn't a myth that I have a lot of knowledge on, so I didn't catch um, maybe every well, reference that came up. If we leave that in, you're already spoiled, so I am going to go ahead and tell my anecdote. But in high school, we read Medea and then we did a mock trial. Um, and if you're not familiar with Medea, she was married to Jason of Jason and the Argonauts, and then he like betrayed her, and so she killed their children. Um, and I defended Medea in our mock trial, and I got her acquitted, which I don't feel that great about as an adult because she did kill two children, but felt pretty good about it as a high school junior. 
Right. So I feel like I'm going to go with this isn't a spoiler because it is called This Poison Heart. And since it's not a retelling in the same strict sense as some of the other media we've talked about today, I feel like it it's not a spoiler to say that there is references to Medea's story in the book. Okay, that seems fair. And we'll leave it at that. Lawyers are bad, I feel like, is the the moral of my high school story. A-Lab? What? <laughs> A-L-A-B? All lawyers oh. are bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yes, A-Lab. Not to shed too much laughter on very serious situations in our country at this time. <laughs> now I'm just picturing a... <laughs> A black lab. <laughs> just like a dog. I'm just picturing a dog now. <laughs> a lab. A lab is a good dog, and all lawyers are bastards. <laughs> right. My friend does have a black lab puppy, and she's just the cutest thing, so my mind immediately pictured Lucy. It's just like, oh, Lucy, oh, she's not bad. She's not a lawyer. She can't flip the pages. She doesn't have opposable thumbs. <laughs> this is quickly becoming an unhinged episode, so maybe we should move on to classical retellings. Okay, that seems fine. Um, I have really enjoyed this tangent, but anyway. Um, uh, retellings of, of classics, and specifically, most of the time, classics that have entered the public domain. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, These Violent Delights. Which it took Bailey a little bit too long to realize was a Romeo and Juliet retelling. I just really liked the characters. I was having fun in 1920s Shanghai. And then it all fell in place. Then there's a twist at the end. Um, I will also say, uh, so far, it is not a direct retell- like one-to-one retelling of Romeo and Juliet. Because Romeo and Juliet have, have not yet died um, by committing... Um, poorly thought out suicides yeah I was gonna say they haven't unalived themselves um they, this could happen in the sequel we don't know for sure we haven't gotten it yet it comes out yeah later this year. Say, that wouldn't make for a very good sequel i think the thing is we, when you say that these stories are typically ones that have been in the public domain i feel like what we're seeing recently is not the same thing as what we saw i don't know how many years ago when stuff started becoming public domain and it was just monsters. It was just Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. These are two very mm-hmm. different uh, types of retellings of, of classical stories. Yeah. To be fair, from everything I've heard about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, it was great. Uh, I have not read it. I fully support it as a concept. Have you seen that guy on TikTok that does um, things like... Uh, the Great Gatsby, but Nick has scoliosis, where it's the exact same book, but he references Nick having scoliosis once a chapter. No, I did see the guy who did, uh, I think, Jane Eyre in a Boston accent. Oh, no. That was a long time ago, though. That was like... The same guy that did the scoliosis one, I think he also did Pride and Prejudice, but Mr. Darcy is a vape god, which it's the same story, but once a chapter, there's a reference to Mr. Darcy vaping. I'm putting these in the same category as, like, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. This is fun. I like it. These are, I mean, they're even less, um, 
I mean, like, he didn't even try and make them legit. Like, they're just no, I know. gag gifts. They're gag gifts that I, I want. Right. Ooh, this one, same guy. Um, So his name is, is Dick Heese. I don't know if that's actually his name, though, because it's his name is Dick C. Heese, um, which spells Dick Cheese. So I feel like it might be a fake name or else he's just unlucky. Right. But he's he's also done Frankenstein, but the monster is allergic to gluten, which is just Frankenstein, but the monster has a gluten allergy that's mentioned once a chapter. Wow. Uh, that's hilarious. The newer retellings are um, a bit more, as you said, with these violent delights, not really one-to-one. They're a bit more creative. So these violent delights is Romeo and Juliet inspired, but in the 1920s Shanghai. Uh, there's She's Too Pretty to Burn, which is a, a retelling of a picture of Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. Which, and it's also sapphic, which slaps. Yes. I actually read Picture of Dorian Gray, I think, last year for the first time. And Oscar Wilde is great. Um, holds up. It's very chaotic, but in a good way. Yes. Then... Aisha at Last, which is a Pride and Prejudice retelling mm-hmm. about, I really liked, I was surprised at how much I liked that because I haven't really read Pride and Prejudice and I d- expected that I would grow bored of the retelling part of it, mm-hmm. but I didn't at all. Like I really, Aisha at Last was great and because I'm not super familiar with Pride and Prejudice, I was still left like turning pages to figure out how it would end. Yeah. Um, I actually would really recommend the original pride. You read the original pride and prejudice. Um, I read it for the first time a few years ago and it also really holds up. I was expecting it to like, not boring, but like, you know, we don't read a lot of literature from that era nowadays. And so I expected to not really like vibe with the prose, um, but I really did. It was very good. But you're correct that Aisha at last was a very, very cute retelling that I really enjoyed. And I liked that she, um, you know, used Muslim characters. I think that that was a great, like, gateway into a culture that we don't get a lot of exposure to in Western culture. Yes. Um, I also believe that this book also had a lot of food references. Just like Uzma's other book has even more food references because <laughs> she also wrote Hannah Khan Carries On. And um, it always makes me hungry when Uzma's describing the food. Truly. You know, Jane Austen retellings, I think, are something that actually have been in pop culture for a long time. Like, kind of alongside the Cinderella, like, there's always a Jane Austen remake. Like, Clueless is a remake of Emma. There have been lots and lots of just like straight. Pride and Prejudice adaptations. Um, there have also been... Did you ever watch The Lizzie Bennet Diaries? No. The Lizzie Bennet Diaries is a web series version of Pride and Prejudice in like modern times that was produced by Hank Green, TikTok fave. Did not know that. Um, it was very good. Highly recommend. But I feel like Jane Austen, I think it, she's been in the public domain for so long that um, and it's just, like, such classic romance stories that she's just always going to be hanging around in various forms. Yes. I feel like I got scarred from classics in high school because 
the first two I read were Scarlet Letter and Wuthering Heights. Mm, yeah. And so I was just like, I never need to write, read another classic again, even though I'm pretty sure I missed out on arguably some of the most readable ones and the ones that I would enjoy, like the romance. Mm-hmm. But that's okay, because now I'm just going to stick to the retellings. <laughs> that's fair enough. Who needs Pride and Prejudice when I can read Aisha at last? Uh, I do still need to read The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, which you said mm-hmm. is a Gatsby retelling without uh, the scoliosis. <laughs> yeah, Nick does not have scoliosis in The Chosen and the Beautiful. But yes, so uh, Gatsby entered public domain this year. And so Nevo really had her foot on the gas pedal to get this one um, published so quickly. And I'm really glad that she did because it is, um, it's a retelling of The Great Gatsby from Jordan's point of view. And, um, but she's made Jordan a, um, like an adopted Vietnamese girl. And there's also like, kind of like a magical fantasy element added in that's really beautiful Mm -hmm. and um jordan in the chosen and the beautiful is canonically bi or pan maybe but um queer at least and um it's just a very like interesting and beautiful retelling and it takes this idea that jordan has like been an outsider in the great gatsby and just kind of gives it a different lens by making her like racially an outsider as well. Yes. Ever since you brought it up in um, It's Gay and it Slaps, I've been <laughs> wanting to read it, but I feel like my TBR is super long and summer is really kicking off and I haven't had as much time to read as I've wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally fair, but definitely keep it on your TBR. Ooh, you know what we should do? What should we do? Strong arm everyone into required reading time on squad vacation i'm down okay cool what should we do <laughs> maybe we can get daniel to finally read the grace here or legend born or at least to give them back to me if he's not going to read them right anyways uh friends mandatory reading time please pack accordingly because i will not be putting suitcases in my carry uh, nope i will not be putting <laughs> books in my suitcase <laughs> It's okay. I will also not be putting suitcases within my suitcases. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I'll be driving down. I can bring books for all of us. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I have my Kindle, so I'll be set. But anyway. Um, yeah, The Chosen and the Beautiful. Great book. Highly recommend. Super interesting and beautiful. I guess that really brings us to our uh, closing discussion point. Which feels like a very formal way of uh, bringing it all together. (laughs) But one of the things that we couldn't really settle on, even while talking through this whole episode, is sort of what separates all this fan fiction that we talked about two weeks ago and the retellings that we talked about today as, as different. Is it because the retellings are venerated? classics or stories that have existed forever and fan fiction tends to be uh more contemporary retellings and thus it doesn't fall into the same category so my 
gut reaction is to say that basically nothing separates these retellings from just being fan fiction, aside from having been professionally edited and published and put into the mainstream as opposed to published on fanfiction.net or AO3. But I think even more so than that, that many of these stories and retellings that we've talked about are almost more like tropes than like stories at this point because they've been in the public consciousness for so long and so they're sort of more of the setting for the story than the story themselves so like Aisha at last is like a retelling of Pride and Prejudice but similarly they're gonna if you go on to AO3 you'll find dozens if not hundreds of Pride and Prejudice AUs of whatever fandom. So, like, there, I'm certainly there's like a Harry Potter Pride and Prejudice on AO3 and like a Supernatural Pride and Prejudice on AO3. Um, and things like definitely Pride and Prejudice, lots of the fairy tales, particularly like Cinderella or Beauty and the Beast, I think are the kind of stories that lend themselves to like substituting in like the characters from your fandom and using it as like a jumping off point for a fan fiction. I can get behind that. Yeah. I think what you're saying really has, has merit because I think that's what I was getting at with when I said that these retellings are stories we've known or stories that are considered quote unquote classics versus fan fiction is often um, retelling or adding to an existing contemporary media mm-hmm. and not necessarily I I wouldn't consider a story where Cinderella and the evil stepsisters go to a coffee shop as a retelling of Cinderella mm-hmm. that would be fan fiction but as you're saying when you use these tropes almost to retell the story it becomes something different yeah um, first of all, I just want to say that I'm very proud of coming up with that. I came up with it, like, almost on the spot. It, like, occurred to me just as you asked the question. And I actually, I stand behind it a lot. But I do want to say that, like, ultimately, you know, we've been talking a lot about how there are no new stories. And ultimately, all of these retellings are just fan fiction of Greek mythology or fan fiction of fairy tales. Even, like, the Disney fairy tale movies are fan fictions of the original Grimm fairy tales or Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. And, you know, everything that's an adaptation is, you know, a a fan fiction in certain ways. Bruce is, I don't know what he needs, but. Right. Well, and I think we've reached the, we've obviously reached the point where Disney is, it's, is hardly even considered retellings at that point because it's reached its own iconic standalone as Disney stories, even though, as you say, they are, a retelling of a fairy tale. And so I think, yeah, it's just comes down to the fact that there's, if you want to get that deep into it, there is a difference, but functionally day to day, it's fan fiction. I think it's just, um, they're like the term fan fiction has been stigmatized so much. I know we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, but I think it is healthy for us as a society to just really accept and internalize that 
there are no new stories and like you're never gonna create a new like a wholly new story that's never been done what's important is like how you tell whatever story you've come up with and we've sort of let these versions like disney or whatever be like legitimized and kind of have lost sight of the fact that they came from somewhere else which is fine i just think that right we need to be giving more credit to you know people who come up with quote-unquote unoriginal stories because nothing is original so it's just about right how you tell it and where you find that that's like street cred or whatever Exactly. And don't come for us because we're not saying plagiarism is okay. No. We're saying that your talent in retelling a story with new characters or a new setting or a new conflict is different and makes the difference when you are nodding back to these original stories and that you're not going to be the first person to ever tell a story just because all of these things are so ingrained. In everything we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I think that there are tons and tons of of good retellings as we... I mean, we've talked about a bunch of them today. Right. We've touched on quite a few. Right. I will try and uh, put every single one of these that we've talked about, old and new books, onto our bookshop.org so that it's easy to reference them in one place. Definitely... I was hoping that by the if we left this question till the end, what separates fanfic and retellings, that we would come to our own conclusion. And I, I think you did a really good job putting it to words, Katie. Uh, because what, as we said earlier, when we started this episode, we've been all over the place because every time we turned a corner, it felt like there was some new element that we felt we needed to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were really excited for this episode and really excited to talk about all of this, but we definitely had a hard time narrowing it down to sort of like a like a thesis point. Um, and I think that we, we sort of stumbled into it there at the end. Yes, uh, we hit a lot of uh, detours along the way with our, our black labs <laughs> and um, mandatory reading time. But at the end of the day, we got uh-huh. there. So... Uh, we're right. And we should say it. Join us in two weeks for our next episode. We'll see you then. We're going to be talking about reading some of the classic YA that we grew up in now that we're adult ladies. I have a feeling I'll have strong opinions. <laughs> you? Strong opinions? I cannot imagine. Something tells me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we'll see you then. And as we've already said, We are right. And we should say it. Pour yourself a glass of wine. Let's start reading in between the lines. Never know what we might find. Yeah, it could be magic. Oh, oh, oh. Pros Tinted Glasses is hosted by Bailey Utrecht and me, Katie Phillips. 
Our logo is by Baby Truth Collection, and our theme song is by the very talented Anna Boss. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about reading some of our favorite YA novels now that we're adults. Please make sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's really going to help us grow. And we'll see you soon.